when I was little, on uh, Christmas Eve, we would, uh, as a family, go out for a night walk. After it had gone completely dark, we would all get our torches and we would go for a little walk uh, along the village and then through the very tiny, dark woods near our house. And this never happened, but imagine that one of those times we were out in the woods and suddenly, in a freak incident, all of our torches died at the same time. And suddenly we are in pitch blackness. There's, the clouds are covering the moon. We can barely see our hands in front of our faces. How would we have felt? Darkness is scary. It's confusing. And our first reading tonight from Isaiah began with the powerful image of people walking in darkness. And I find that really helpful. The Bible doesn't ask us to just ignore the darkness in our world and in our lives and force a grin because it's, it's Christmas. Not at all. Of course, Christmas is often a time where we feel the darkness in our lives most deeply. And God fully acknowledges the darkness we face. The Bible wrestles with it all the time. In fact, in the next verse, the word Isaiah uses for deep darkness is literally death darkness. Elsewhere, it's famously translated the shadow of death. And as we look at the news, whether it's horrific scenes in Gaza or whether it's just a report on NHS waiting lists for cancer patients, we all know that we are living in the shadow of death. But we cannot survive without some kind of light. In this dark world, humans can't live without hope. The sociologist Andrew Del Banco has a whole book about hope, and he says that all of us have to understand our experience in some kind of story. And if that story is going somewhere, then that is hope. He says the heart of any culture is hope. Hope is the way we overcome the lurking suspicion that all our getting and spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. We all need hope. But there are very different kinds of hope. There are different kinds of light in the darkness. And so I just want to explore tonight, based on these readings that we've heard, what kind of hope, what kind of light does Christmas offer? A few years ago, Coldplay wrote a Christmas song all about light in the dark. Uh, It's about this sad guy who's had an argument with his partner and he goes out and he sees the Christmas lights on Oxford Street and he sings this. Up above, candles on air flicker. Oh, they flicker and they float, but I'm up here holding on to all those chandeliers of hope. Isn't that an interesting image of hope? Hope is a bunch of candles floating in midair, flickering in the darkness, and we just cling on, like somebody hanging from their fingertips from a chandelier, but it is all just floating. There is nothing holding it up at all. And that is regularly the kind of hope that's offered to us at Christmas. Beautiful, baseless optimism. Listen to these lyrics from Elton John and Ed Sheeran's Christmas song a couple of years ago. 
bearing in mind that this was in the context of COVID and everything that we had gone through in that. And, and these two songwriters, they, they get together to write something that will be uplifting for people, that will give millions of people hope. And this is what they wrote. I know there's been pain this year, but it's time to let it go. Next year, you never know. But for now, Merry Christmas. You know, it almost feels silly to take the lyrics of Christmas songs too seriously. But at the same time, something about that is heartbreaking, isn't it? It, It's just so bleak. That is the hope that they are offering. It's not based on anything at all. It is a feeling, an empty feeling of positivity. And that makes it unbelievably fragile. It's a chandelier of candles hanging in midair and we're invited to hang on with no reason to think that we will not all at some point come crashing down around us. But the Christmas hope that we discover in the Bible is so different. Think back to that image from Isaiah. Isaiah's image of hope is not a tiny candle flickering in the darkness. It's of a very dark night and then the sun rising. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The sun beginning to rise doesn't mean that all of the darkness is immediately gone. But it is massive. It is momentous. It means that you know the daylight is surely coming. And it's out there. It's not just a feeling or an attitude. It is a real, solid, external reality. And I want us to notice that in all of our readings tonight, none of them have said that we ought to just have a generally positive attitude towards the future. The angel doesn't appear to the shepherds and say, do not be afraid. Always look on the bright side of life. The angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. In fact, the angel is very specific. The news is today a saviour has been born to you. It's not just good vibes. It's not just a, a positive attitude. It is good news. The sun has risen. And the sunrise that's being talked about, as always, is the coming of Jesus. Look at what John says. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John has been using this term, the word, to explain how Jesus is actually God, the eternal God, the son. He's always existed with the father. Everything was created through him. And now John says the word has turned up. He has taken on flesh and blood and come to meet us as a human being. And crucially, John says, we have seen his glory. It's a huge theme in John's writings that him and the other disciples, they saw Jesus with their own eyes, that he is a witness testifying to the truth. In one of his letters, he talks about the word as well. And he says, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John says, look, God came in flesh and blood and I actually saw him and touched him. This is not just in the realm of ideas and philosophies. This is in the realm of history 
He lived a unique life. He died for us. And then he actually physically rose again to everlasting life. And we touched him then. We saw him then. We talked to him then. This is not just a positive feeling. It is a momentous fact. This is why there is light in the darkness. This is why there is hope that is solid, even in the shadow of death. I used to work... Uh, with students and I remember chatting to one Christian student she was wonderful uh, and she worked in Pizza Hut and she was telling me one time about this conversation she'd had with a colleague about her faith and he had said to her look I could never believe in that kind of stuff because I can't believe in anything without evidence and she said to me yeah so I just said to him look it's faith and, and really it's just you've got to just take a leap of faith but I'm so glad that I did and I listened to her saying that and I thought, I, you are wonderful, but that is not a wonderful answer for that person. I was thinking, imagine if John was in Pizza Hut with you during that conversation. He would be going, uh, hello, have you read my book? I'm not asking anyone to take a huge leap into the dark blindly. I am giving you eyewitness testimony of a man rising from the dead. Wouldn't you say that is evidence? In fact, isn't eyewitness testimony exactly the kind of evidence you would expect there to be of something like that happening in history? You know, you imagine him saying, I promise you we did not make this up. All we got out of it was being tortured and imprisoned and in many cases killed. Nobody made any money out of being a Christian for 400 years. I was long gone. Don't ask this guy to believe without any evidence. Show him the evidence. John says putting our hope in Jesus is not a leap into the dark. It is stepping into the light. It is letting go of the floating chandelier of vague optimism that maybe, hopefully, things will get better. And stepping onto solid ground. Okay, so what about a third image of hope? What about the kind of hope that says, yes, the world outside is dark, But there is a spark inside you. And if you can fan that into flame and shine bright enough, you can light up this world. I think that is such a common message, especially in a city like Cambridge. I remember a friend talking about how when they arrived at their college as a fresher, the welcome speech was essentially, here are all of the Nobel Prize winners that have come through this college. If you work hard enough, the next one might be in this room. But it's not just Cambridge colleges, is it? It's every Disney film that says you are the hero of your story. There is a light inside you, and if you can shine bright enough, you can change the world. This kind of hope, instead of depending on absolutely nothing at all, hanging in midair, it depends entirely on you. It hangs around your shoulders. No wonder we are a city full of feelings of inadequacy. No wonder we're a city where everyone is stressed all the time, where everyone is tired all the time, because this is exhausting. And it also makes it almost impossible to deal with the obvious fact that the darkness in the world is not just out there, it is in here as well. How are we ever meant to deal honestly with the 
The darkness in our own hearts and our own lives, if we are told again and again that our hearts are meant to be the pure beacons of light that can save the world, it is crushing. But real Christmas hope is so, so, so different to that. And it's so liberating. I absolutely love The West Wing. It's a brilliant, brilliant program. And there is a Christmas episode where one of the characters is in real deep trouble and one of the others says this to him. He says, a guy's walking along the street and suddenly he falls into a hole. And the walls of the hole are are too steep and he can't get out. And then a doctor walks past and he shouts up, hey, I'm stuck down here, could you help me? And the doctor looks down and he writes him a prescription and he throws it down into the hole and he carries on walking. And then a priest walks past and the guy shouts out, Father, I'm stuck down here, could you help me? And the priest looks down into the hole and he writes out a beautiful prayer and he throws it down into the hole and he carries on walking. But then a friend comes along and the guy shouts, Hey, Joe, I'm stuck in this hole, can you help me? And Joe looks down into the hole and he jumps in. And the guy says, what are you doing, you idiot? Now we're both stuck in this hole. But Joe says, yeah, I know. But I've been down here before, and I know the way out. That is Christmas. It is the unbelievable news that God is not like the doctor or the priest. God is actually like the friend. God does not just send down instructions or even gifts from a distance. God comes down to join us. God gives us himself. He jumps down into the darkness and puts an arm around our shoulder. He joins us in our darkness so he can carry us back into his light. Maybe you've been going to church all your life. Maybe you come here every week. But do you actually know that this is what God is like? That he cares about you this much? That he he doesn't just give you things from a distance. He gives you himself. Listen to how John describes it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is God coming into the world and giving himself to us. And John says we are invited to receive him. The first time I ever gave a Christmas talk, it was based on this reading. And I found myself thinking, receiving a gift is a very Christmassy thing. But what does it mean to receive a person? And then I realized that I knew that because I was about to do it. That year, I was engaged to be married to Rachel. And I realized this is what happens in a wedding. In our wedding vows, we said to each other, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. And that is very literally what happened. We were united into one and everything that we have got shared. Rachel's student debt became my student debt. My crazy Northern Irish family became Rachel's crazy Northern Irish family. And that is exactly what God 
has done in Jesus. He says, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. And the question for us is very simply, will we receive him? Will we say it back? Because if we receive him, if we trust ourselves to him, then just like any marriage, he is ours and we are his. And everything that's ours becomes his and everything that's his becomes ours. He says, okay, your darkness will be my darkness. He joins us in our suffering so that we are never alone. He says, your debts will be my debts. Your death will be my death. He comes and he takes all of our guilt and our failures and our selfishness and our sins and he lifts them up onto his own shoulders and he deals with them forever as he dies for us on the cross. And then he rises from the dead and he says, okay, my light will be your light. Everything that is his becomes ours. His new life becomes our new life. So we can start again, so we can come alive and actually be a light that shines in this dark world. His future becomes our future. A glorious, healed, resurrected world where darkness is banished forever and he wipes every tear away from our eyes. And best of all, what John emphasizes here is that his family becomes our family. When anyone receives Jesus, he gives us the right to become children of God. We get to know the creator of the universe as our father who loves us just as intensely as he loves Jesus. Who is just as delighted in us as he is in Jesus. Who will never give up on us or turn on us or forget about us because he will never turn on Jesus. And we are one with him. That is hope. A glorious sun rising in the darkness. A friend jumping down into our pit and giving himself to us. So for those of us who've already received the gift of Jesus, I just want to remind you tonight that you have a hope that you can depend on. Not a hope that depends on you. You have a hope that can hold you up when you are weary, not a hope that you have to be strong enough to hold on to. Because the hope that we have in Jesus is as real and as massive and as outside us as the sun rising. Whether you feel bright and positive and hopeful or dark and dismal and weak, in a sense it doesn't matter because Jesus has still defeated death for you. God has still come into the darkness to come and get you. And God has still got you. And this Christmas, when the darkness inside you is obvious, when you see it as you get annoyed with your family, when you see it in your own selfishness or in, as you feel your kind of wounded ego, in those moments, remember that your hope does not depend on your goodness. And that that guilt and that failure does not belong to you anymore. Jesus has come and he has taken it. And it is his and he has dealt with it forever. And he has brought you into his family. And the God of the universe is absolutely delighted with you. And he's never going to let you go. That is the hope that you have in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, remember that. 
and rest in it. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, that sounds really lovely, but it just it's not for me because it's just, it can't be true, can it? Can I ask you, are you sure? Are you 100% sure that this isn't real? I was speaking at a, a carol event uh, for students earlier in the week, and then um, a, a steward told me that a guy had come past him on the way out, and he said, can I get one of those Bibles that you were offering? Because I'm really not sure if this is absolute, total rubbish, but I've got to find out. And I have so much respect for that guy. I think that is absolutely right. If there is even the slightest chance that this might be true, it is so worth checking, isn't it? Because if it is true, it is so good. You could just take away with you a a biography of Jesus' life, and you could just read it. You could perhaps say, God, if you're out there, would you show yourself to me as I read this book? And then just open it up and see what you make of it. Or even better, you could read bits of it with a, a Christian friend and chat with them about what you make of it. Or perhaps for some of us here tonight, you're not thinking this can't be true. You're starting to realize that it is. You're realizing tonight that Jesus is real and he is the light and the hope that you need, that we all need. And that he is offering himself to you. Let me just ask you, will you receive him? Will you trust yourself to him and give yourself to him? He has already come and given himself for you. If you think that maybe you might want to receive him for the first time this evening, please don't leave without telling him that and don't leave without telling someone else that. We would love to help you. I would love to chat with you and help you think that through. Please do grab me afterwards or grab someone that you know who's a Christian. But for now, we're just going to take a moment of silence just to reflect. You could close your eyes or you might like to focus on the light of a candle. But just take this minute just to be quiet and reflect or perhaps uh, to pray and to say whatever you want to say to God in the quietness. And then I'll pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We confess that not only is there so much darkness in the world around us, but there is darkness inside of us too. And we thank you that you have come to be with us You have come to give yourself to us. We love you. Amen.